Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. My name is Ed Mann and today we're very lucky to be joined a third time by Matthias Kanar. How are you doing, Matthias? Hi, good evening, Ed. How are you? I'm very, very good. Thank you, sir. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show again. It's my pleasure. It is indeed the third time. It is the third. Yeah, it's uh, well. So I've been looking through the uh, the archives, and uh, we've definitely been bouncing all over the place. We we started with HTTP two, uh, so we went like you know full uh, protocol stuff. Then we went with varnish caching, and today we're now looking into cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies. So yeah, I think the silver lining so far is that it's all very low level protocol stuff, which is really to me exciting. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. So since we've last spoke, actually, one thing actually that's been pressing for me, uh, especially since the 2017 boom and and kind of now the 20, I think it was the dark period, they're calling it the 2018 uh, around cryptocurrencies and whatnot. But really your blog and stuff, you've been talking and you've you've kind of shown like how to, you know, use Bitcoin core building, uh, setting up a Bitcoin core node and then the lightning network and stuff. So I thought it'd be really cool to make to, to actually talk to you. And I noticed on your Twitter and stuff, you've kind of been interested in it. So to talk to a like-minded individual about all this stuff who's got like a developer background. So I thought it'd be really interesting. Absolutely. absolutely. It's Bitcoin or any of those crypto projects are to me super interesting, not only because of the, the tech involved, but the, the, the methodology, the idea behind it, um, that is powered by the tech and that just makes it all that much more exciting so it's, it's really I, i'm excited about the technology in general and I just love playing and tinkering around with it so it's so actually the first question it should be then is what got you interested in cryptocurrency when when, when was your first foray into bitcoin um there, there are actually actually two and one of them is um embarrassingly early oh those stories everyone loves those stories <laughs> yeah, so like the, the first um mention i heard about bitcoin um was in the very very early days um i like in 2011 2012 i heard about it and then totally ignored it because the idea was ridiculous and you could run something on your computer and get bitcoin something whatever it was named it just didn't make any sense to me then a few a few years later i had a colleague of mine who said he suddenly got rich at the first uh, real bubble and then i got interested when i totally ignored it because i didn't have any bitcoin so i had a colleague who got rich <laughs> by doing nothing and i sat on the sidelines so again i totally ignored it um and then i like today i think most people um i got in again around 2017 when it started to get into the news again and it's like the third time that i heard about it that it still hadn't died so the idea that seemed so ridiculous in theory was still actually around and still going up in value it's like what is going on here um, so I started researching it, um, started looking into it. What is the tech? What what, what made this thing survive for 10 years um, without dying, even though it was such an, a ridiculous idea, or in theory it was. Um, so I got into it um, at the bubble of two, 2017. Um, luckily, it didn't lose any money, uh, like unfortunately a lot of the people around me. Um, but that's when I got hooked. In uh, like 2018 is uh, what we call a bear bear market. Price just went down, down, down. Um, and my conviction only grew stronger and stronger. So my, my conviction is inversely correlated to the price of Bitcoin. Well, that shows, you know, I mean, you're then for the long haul and it, it, I'm, I'm with you, the technology. And I, I was, I have quite a similar story of like around 2011, I was at university, people were talking about this. I didn't, you know, I thought as you you did, you know, this is a crazy idea. 
uh, and it hasn't died and it still hasn't died and that is what got me in 2017 and then really hooked me with 2018 and you know to be around for this and and the the amount of kind of create creativity and everything around this space i mean there's a lot you know of stuff going on there's a lot of things you know lots of different projects going on a lot of things die come and go but there it's fascinating and and it's constantly changing and it's one of those places where you're in the forefront of it and you're really seeing the change and this kind of yeah this vision this is really amazing yeah and it, it also ties in with it all of the 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 hobbies or the the things i like like open source linux development all of it ties in together in bitcoin like bitcoin is just part of the linux foundation it is supported with the same infrastructure um there are grants being given out to linux core or um, bitcoin core developers to keep developing it it is entirely open source basically everything that i love about linux also translates to bitcoin you have a couple of high-profile individuals um, that have a very strong opinion are very vocal about it but then also actually do the work and develop some of the things that are mind-blowingly complicated, yet so simple when they explain it to you. So it's it's like Linux got translated into money or into programmable money um, in an open source way. So that, that's, that's, that's also what got me excited like in 2017 or last year is just seeing everything going on beyond, behind the scenes. Like the, the price may be dropping, but more and more applications are being built. The, the additions to the protocol... The, the development stack on top of it, everything is growing. This is, I believe this is going to be a massive boom. Um, not so much financial, but just in terms of what it can change about the way we operate, how we deal with money, how we deal with um, with just passing ownership of things around. I, I bought a house a couple of years ago. I paid fortunes to a lawyer and to everyone, every middleman that I got in between. Um and rightfully so, I guess. I mean, they did some part, but not for the amount of money that I paid. Um, it's just not in line. And I'm not say, saying all of that should be thrown out and replaced by technology. But this kind of technology enables so many things, can simplify so many things, um, that I'm really excited about it. It doesn't go away, that excitement. Absolutely. And so, so you started off then, obviously, with Bitcoin. Uh, and, and I suppose, do you, do you focus a lot of your energy now in kind of understanding the Bitcoin protocol? Is there many resources you've been looking into, reading up on that kind of, you know, gets you clued up on this? Um, my main focus now is Bitcoin. I've only been in like in the in the crypto space for like two or three years. Um, and I'm only just trying to catch up with Bitcoin. And even that is... It's a hard task, isn't it? <laughs> it changes with every BIP. It's like, what? It's exactly. Plus, I'm, I'm 10 years behind. I, I need to catch up with the last 10 years. Um, right now I have ideas about maybe what should happen to the block size, but those discussions have already been held for the last 10 years. So my, my current point of view might have already been discussed on mailing lists. So I should probably read up on those and get all other people's opinions. Um, so my main focus now is just everything related about Bitcoin, not in the sense of, um, being in a maximalist and only believing that Bitcoin can survive, but I want to really understand technology and I don't yet understand Bitcoin far enough that I don't know if I should be diving into Monero or Ethereum, if I don't even understand the basics of the, the, the so sort of say, the big brother of all the, the currencies. Um, so yeah, lots of things to read for starters. There's a magnificent book about mastering Bitcoin, about um, Andreas Antonopoulos. How do you I'm so glad you had, to say, you had to say his name before I did, because I was going to bring him up. But <laughs> If you type anything that looks like it, uh, Google will auto-correct it for you. <laughs> um, so no, no, that book is brilliant. It explains everything 
and, and that's I think the, the brilliance of Bitcoin too. It is both extremely complicated in how it works, yet extremely simplistic in all of the other tools that it just brings together. And Andreas in his books makes this so um, crystal clear with proper examples. So that is, that is to me the Bible, the go-to um, to learn about Bitcoin. And then all of the related books, um, both that he wrote about um, the talks that he gave about what is money, how does money work, um, what is the benefit of programmable money. That there are so many good topics and books um, that I'm, which is perhaps a bit odd, but I'm falling back to physical um, paper books to learn about a digital currency. That seems to work best for me. I agree with you. I've bought the book, and also like the Internet of Money is his couple of volumes that he's done based on all the talks over years. Because he, I, th- I think his life is just on the road doing talks, and he he pr- seems to publish everything he does. And yeah, definitely checking out his YouTube, checking out his, these books. Another one he's done is the Mastering Ethereum, which I think's just been released, uh, which is definitely something that I'll be onto as well next. Exactly. That's on my to-do list too, but I, I need to grasp Bitcoin first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, he, he's able, and I think with me with Bitcoin, and one of the things that just really just kind of shone with me was the fact that the code is is the rules, essentially. You know, they, they go back to the source of the co- source code, you know, the Bitcoin core source code. That is the rules and, and how the actual protocol should work. You know, there, there obviously is written documentation on, on how it actually is, but fundamentally it's whatever is in source code. And really, you know, in today's age, that is how it is. Source code is king. And it, it, that, that really does kind of resonate with me, like, you know, how things have changed. Uh, and, you know, you can like say, okay, how does this work? Well, we go to GitHub, or we go to whatever, you know, you can pull down the, the, you know, the source code and you can read it. And you can understand that, you know, the complete goings on, the complete rule set around this protocol. Yeah, the, the idea that code is law is both um, brilliant and enticing as well as fucking scarred. Uh, I mean, imagine something going horribly wrong. Um, for me, as an, no, perhaps I should take this back. If something goes horribly wrong, um, chances are the 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 core developers or the foundation will probably make a fundamental change to the Bitcoin protocol and fix it. We saw the same with Ethereum a few years back. Um, they uh, there was a major bug in one of the largest smart contracts. They lost a lot of Ethereum, so they forked, and now you have Ethereum Classic and you have Ethereum. So major say fuck ups, they get fixed on a protocol level to make things better again. But if I somehow make an issue in, say, a smart contract, or if I lose my private key, there is no one coming to come out of the woods and save me as an individual because I'm just too small. And that is still the effect of code is law. I follow that principle. I like it in theory, but it scares me in practice that something is going to happen that I can't undo. Like if you go to a bank and you you you, you beg on your knees and you present your ID cards and uh, the, the electricity bill for your last three months, they can probably unlock an account that has somehow been locked. But the, the code is law thing, that is like, it's final. <laughs> it's deal yeah, with it. it. Is, yeah, the private keys, no one knows them apart from you. They're stored yeah, in exactly. one place and that's it. You know, you're not getting them back. So that's that's scary. Um, that that's also what 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 entices me. Perhaps that is something that um, applications on top of Bitcoin can help solve. Perhaps that is part of the custody challenge that needs to be solved. Um, so I, I, the, the 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 protocol itself is really super interesting, but the, some of the consequences do scare me. Code has bugs in. Fundamentally, all code has bugs in. And yeah, as you say, like Ethereum, the, the the more complex you get, especially things like smart contracts and stuff. 
you're bound to, you know, the, the amount of work that needs to go into verifying and proving that these, once you deploy them, say to like the Ethereum, you know, network or whatever, you know, network you're doing, that these are fundamentally right. As you say, the DAO thing you had, um, there's a lot of things that, and you get the forks and everything, because that's one thing definitely we'll talk about if, you know, going forward is, it's developing on a, on a on a blockchain, a decentralized network, very different to developing, you know, your typical web application. Um, but you mentioned like the code is law and stuff. Do, do you think coming from like a developer background, you do have an advantage, uh, obviously looking into these projects and kind of grasping the fundamental concepts as opposed to, you know, someone who's just looking at this and, and really looking at it from a an outside perspective from a developer, you know, as opposed to being a developer and understanding, all right, it's written in C, extra, you know, I can compile it, whatnot. In a way, I think that's a yes and no question. Um, so I think you have you probably have the same feeling, but as a developer, you can look at code, you can see what is happening, you can see um, how cleanly structured it is. Is there an abstraction layer? Are, are, is input being sanitized? You name it. Um, so we can judge code by looking at it, by reviewing it. But at the end of the day, if code is pretty or ugly or buggy or not, that doesn't really make for um, a successful project or not. I mean, if I look at some of the Ethereum code, I look at code that is in parts really ugly, really messy, but at the same time, it's like the second most valuable network that you have today. So code doesn't, clean code doesn't represent a successful project. Um, it's all about the how do they manage the, the grants and the funds that they receive? Are they smart about money management? How is their marketing? What is being built on top of it? So I think in in the past, I've um, burned myself by looking at code, by judging how beautiful it is, how well it works, how well unit tested it is. Um, but that can still be a project that dies in a couple of months because there is simply no adoption or because the developers that wrote clean code, they never looked beyond their code and who might use this, or perhaps documentation is lacking. Um, so it's a tricky one. I, I, I can stare blindly at code, but that doesn't paint the whole picture no absolutely yeah. yeah there's so many factors to it. i totally agree and actually yeah as a developer we kind of maybe you know kind of looked at all this kind of like nice code and whether we actually see fundamentally all the different things you know and i think that as you say there's so many different i mean that, that's another thing with it there's so many different currencies and projects going on now you, you are probably better at what you're doing is kind of focusing still concentrate on something like bitcoin then maybe move to sank ethereum understand these fundamentals uh, because it is 10 years of work i mean this is 2008 you know the white paper came out so it's there's there's plenty of history there uh, and and movement and, and kind of news and stuff yeah and i think even as as a developer the the more i look at code both my own code as as well as that of i see in open source projects the less i think the code even matters what to me starts to matter more is the, the GUI, the user interface, the usability. And the community the as well. Community especially. Um, but if, if I'm going to convince my family to say, start using Bitcoin, um, I can't show them my, um, my my blog about how to set up a node using uh, Linux and compiling it from source. That, that, that won't work. They need something that is slick, um, usable, that has some kind of um, recover option. If you lose a password that you can reset it. If we are to convince the world that this is the currency um, or the protocol to build things on top of, it, it it can't be about code. It needs to be about so much more. As you say, at the moment, 
it is all about the code. Uh, and I mean, one of the big you know debates we still have now is is layering solutions, like second layer solutions versus increasing the block size, you know, scalability. Because at the moment we're not it, it's bit, the Bitcoin network will not withstand you know the same amount of throughput that say Visa or whatever these you know big card companies can actually uh, you know transactions per second or whatnot. So uh, I'm just wondering, interested. You mentioned there kind of you've got some opinions on like block size and stuff. I'm just wondering what what is what is your kind of take on the, the second layer solutions such as Lightning Network versus it's simply increasing the block size. Um, so, so I changed my opinion last week. <laughs> um, so, so to say, uh, strong opinions loosely held. I, I like to believe that. So my opinion has now changed drastically. Um, at at first, I was perhaps naive and thinking just just increase the block size, just allow more data to be put into a transaction because more data means it can contain a larger or a more complicated script. Um, and a script a Bitcoin mean, Cash approach. Yeah, Don't do segue and just increase it as much as possible. Let's make sure ASCII mining still works for us. That, that's one approach. And I, I think what I like about that approach is not that you can put more transactions into a block because that is one thing that you can do with more size. But I like the idea that you can make more complicated scripts into a block. So think like Ethereum has a really complicated and extensive um, smart contract system and, and the language around it. You can do a lot of complicated things that you cannot do in Bitcoin. Um, no matter how much we believe in Bitcoin, it just doesn't work in there. But it might work if we increase the block size and just allow for bigger scripts. So that's my, that was my one theory that I had um, a while back because it sounded logical. Just make it bigger and make the scripts be more complicated. Um, but then I thought, okay, if I need... Um, if I want to experience Bitcoin, I should probably try to run my own node as well and just see what this fuzz is all about. Um, so I went ahead, install, installed, compiled it, um, let it sync for a couple of hours. And then I had a server with uh, almost 250 gigs of storage that was <laughs> containing the blockchain. And I was like, damn, that's a lot of storage. Now, if, if we were to look at, say, um, Ethereum, I think it's over two terabytes. So, okay, Bitcoin is still in the uh, in the proper range there. Um but that's still a lot of storage. I mean, if you could only going to get bigger. <laughs> yeah, and if you go to DigitalOcean, like it's still super expensive to get. I uh, super. You're you're going to pay fifty to sixty dollars a month to get a node like that running. And if you're going to do this for yourself, that adds up to like five or six hundred dollars a year. That's a lot of money. So now I'm in the camp of make blocks as small as possible, keep disk space as low as possible, because if the blockchain is going to be immutable and we can't alter it, and we always need to keep a full version of it close by that space is only going to increase for like the mm. next 100 years we better make it as compact and as efficient as possible and if we need additional complexity additional um additional throughput let's put that on the layer on top of it that can have its own blockchain its own state uh persistence etc but keep like the real core value of the blockchain keep that as small as possible because we can't continue scaling this if we're going to end up with a minimum of 10 terabytes of storage that we'll need just to hold some transactions growing levels of confidence per layer do you really need to you know commit your transaction commit you know the fact that i bought a coffee for two pounds something you know on the the main uh, network or can you just do it on the lightning network and reconcile that through the multiple layers up and commit it you know eventually you know based on you know i mean that's how like the lightning network actually is envisioned to work yeah exactly so like the idea of the lightning network is that lots of transactions are persisted in lightning so in the layer on top of it that sometimes gets cached out or like committed in git terms um, to the blockchain that is actually built on top of bitcoin 
and that idea that it, that idea works you the, the there's a, a, th- a train of thought that says um only the really big and important transactions will end up on the bitcoin layer like say you buy a house you'll probably want if that happen, ever happens on on bitcoin you'll probably want that to be confirmed on the blockchain itself not just on the lightning network but if you pay a coffee it's like what five dollars for an expensive piece of coffee um you probably don't want to ever pay a dollar worth of transaction fees. That's it. And the time. It's like, I'm going to have to wait six or however long now. You know, six confirmations is the minute at the moment, you know, like to actually verify that I have got this coffee. It's 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 growing levels of confidence. And I think, as you say, that, that seems to be, and that's my opinion as well, is the only way to scale is this. Now, I understand that a lot of people believe that first you're going against Satoshi Nakanoto's, uh, you know, envision, you know, from this white paper, you know, you're kind of, we're starting to, really see, okay, we will need to start now breaking this up. Um, and maybe you're bringing in middlemen now, you know, but the, as you mentioned, the only way of adoption, global adoption of something like this is to essentially bring in these things that are helping aid. Uh, what's your opinion on this kind of quote unquote middlemen uh, like this, like this, you know, layering solutions and, and as like the coin bases of the world and all these things that are kind of helping bring it to the adopting it you know, to the masses, but in turn, I suppose, making it more centralized in some regard. So again, mixed feelings. I think in in like ninety percent of what I feel is positive. Um, I like Coinbase because if I am to convince my family or my friends that perhaps Bitcoin is the way forward, I would much rather um, get them onto Coinbase where they have an account and they have the lost password function um, and they have support that they can call and confirm their identity to, than say um, give them a ledger or a trezor and hope that they store their seed safely and not online or don't lose it because that's the code is law part if you lose your private key you're 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 screwed um so i like the idea of having a middleman that handles well, part of that custody but it also makes the 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 vague concept of Bitcoin tangible. So there's a really simple interface on Coinbase. It allows you to buy, it allows you to sell, um, it allows you to set something that happens every month. Like their user interface is so simple. That is, I think, what is going to drive people to use it, not us looking at the C code. Um, but we need these middlemen if we want the protocol to go beyond what is envisioned by something called the Linux Foundation. I mean, if, if as long as it's stuck inside of that foundation without um, a, a GUI, a presentation layer on top of it, it won't succeed. So we need those middlemen, absolutely. Mm. Actually, going back to, you know, you mentioning the Bitcoin Core node and the Lightning Network node that you made. How, what was your experience like kind of setting these up? Obviously, you mentioned it took a while for you to, to download because essentially when you get a node, you then have to go back from the beginning of time and verify yourself on that node. Uh, what was the kind of, did you do it in DigitalOcean, you mentioned? Um, no. So so perhaps a bit of background. Um, I, I work at um, probably right now the, the largest hosting provider in Europe. Um, so I have at my disposal, I have the luck that I can just whip out a server um, with any number of specs and just play around with it. Very nice. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't have to pay monthly for servers, um, which is especially nice if you're playing around with technology. Because I think if, if I were to have to do this from my own money and spend 60 70 80 dollars a month to get a node running i probably won't do it because that's not worth it for me um so i have the luck that it's free to play around with and i also have the luck that i've been like a a linux sysadmin for the last 10 years so compiling from source is something that sort of comes naturally um with that said compiling bitcoin and running a node is like a 10 minute job and it's it starts to sync 
because the documentation is um, okay-ish. It works. You have like copy-pastable commands you can run. So that that really works like a charm. Um, the moment you start your Bitcoin node, it uh, it doesn't have any local state. It doesn't have knowledge about... Um, well, that's not entirely true. It has knowledge about one block that has ever been created, the Genesis block. Um, and once it has that, it just starts to ping other uh, Bitcoin nodes and start requesting the blockchain. And it starts downloading it as fast as your line will allow it or as fast as your CPU will allow um, the, the validation of the blocks that come in. And it just chugs away. Um, like on my system, it took like six or eight hours to, to fully download. I'm guessing you had quite a beastly system and good network. As yeah, well. yeah. I think the, the 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 bottleneck there in what could have sped things up was just adding more CPUs because there, there's a point in the entire syncing process where um, the bandwidth is no longer the, the bottleneck, but it's the CPU uh, availability that you have because every block that you download um, is going to be validated. So there's like a couple of hundred rules that a block needs to adhere to in order to be valid. So the, the, the block headers need to be intact. It needs to have an actual set of valid transactions. Um, the, the the payment for the the, the the mining reward needs to be valid, etc. So a lot of validation happens for every block that's being downloaded. Um, and that is very taxing on the CPU. So once that is done, you have an entire um, dumb database of blocks, each referring to the previous one, um, totaling a little over 200 gigs. Um, and then you have a fully functioning, fully validating Bitcoin node. It won't do any mining because it's not a miner, but it is a validator. So every block that it detects on the network, it will download, it will validate. And if it is invalid, it will reject it. Um, so in essence, you can be your own validating bank, so to say. Um, so what did I think of it? Well, it, it was easy to set up because it's just a Linux daemon. It's like compiling Apache or compiling PHP from source and running it. Um, it's really just the same like that. How about the Lightning Network on top of that? Was that was that extra? Or obviously, the Bitcoin Core nodes had a lot of work done to it. Been many years. Lightning their network, on the other hand, is a very a newer technology in that regard. Yeah, and I don't think I I haven't experienced the full um, the full power or the full setup of a Lightning node. I compiled it, I ran it, but then it doesn't do much until you and that's that's the perhaps the weird thing about the lightning network and that is still something that i need to grasp before anything happens with a lightning node you have to add capacity to it if you do not add capacity onto your lightning node it won't relay transactions you won't be able to send or receive transactions so what do you um, mean by capacity uh bitcoin like oh, you say so you actually need you need actually some value in there yeah <laughs> so the the idea that, or the way i understand lightning and per, perhaps you understand it a bit more because i i haven't really played around with it much yet is if i want to um start receiving money on the lightning network i first have to add a bit on the lightning network um so that there's a way to to exchange and route payments now as far as i understand work is being done to perhaps make that obsolete or that you can just at, at least receive um bitcoin without having to first add bitcoin towards the network and towards your node um, but i think right now the only way to receive money is to first add money on top of your node you don't really lose it because you're basically moving money from one address to another address um a sort of multi-sig contract um but the the usability right now isn't there yet so it's an interesting proof of concept i think it can scale given that the network grows large enough um but it still needs to prove itself and in terms of usability there are some ways to go that's it. And I think you just mentioned that and everything. Everything is such a proof of concept, really. Even Bitcoin is a big proof of concept that this is working. 
you know, when it first came out, everyone's, you know, thinking this can't work, this can't work, this can't work, you know, the incentives around it and whatnot. And it is still working and, and it feels still like, even though it's over 10 years now, it still feels like this is something very new still. And it's very much like, you know, what's going to happen next? Um, I mean, we can talk about eventually about the member Wimble and stuff, you know, the people just throwing things into the ring, you know, anonymously, pro, you know, because that's the great thing, the anonymity around all this, you know, the fact that people can bring in, they bring in all these different things and it completely is game changers. Uh, one thing that's been recent that's been nice is Jack Dorsey, the co-founder of uh, Twitter, you know, he, he owns Square. Uh, and I think you mentioned there, actually, you know, like people are now he's, you know, he's hiring, he's, he's paying people now to work solely on like the Bitcoin or crypto space, which is, is just great. I mean, I know there's been a lot of people hating on this and stuff, but really, I can only think this is a good thing that you're essentially, you know, he's, he's trying his best to like say, look, I'm, I'm trying to help. Obviously, he's got incentive in Square. He's saying in the, you know, in his tweet and everything that it's, you know, that it won't help. Obviously, you know, Square is all to do with bringing back to open source and stuff. But it is, you know, fundamentally a good thing. And one thing there was also having a designer. Uh, it's about trying to make this marketability something to try and gain more uh, over it than just you know the technology itself. Yeah, indeed. I think Jack. Um, so, as, as one of the the co-founders of Twitter, I think he understands the internet, um, and I think he understands what drives it. So, I am really excited about the fact that he's also looking for design work to make this more usable. Um, at the same time, Jack is also the guy that goes on a three or six week retreat to some kind of um, Himalaya mountain to go meditate in the weirdest forms possible. Um, so he is a bit of a weirdo, but perhaps that just that that is the, the 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 character that we need in Bitcoin to help promote it. I'm not sure. I think I, I take what he says with a grain of salt, especially because he also invested in the Lightning Labs, so the company making Lightning Network or the Node at least. Um, so he, ha- he has a lot of financial incentive to make Bitcoin work. At the same time, he's a really popular guy. Um, so the more eyes that he can put on Bitcoin, I think the better. Absolutely. And and we, we've mentioned their private keys. So so where, where do you store your private keys then? How, how, how have you uh, gone around this? Um, I have a ledger. I think most of us either have a ledger or Trezor or any other uh, hardware wallet. Um, and I, I think if, if I'm paranoid about private keys for one. Um, but I'm also paranoid about being able to have backups. So I have backups and I have backups of those backups. And I think at this point, I have so many backups that perhaps my private key won't leak from my ledger, but from one of my backups. That is the trouble, isn't it? You have to make sure you remember where backups are stored. Exactly. Um, and it, it is hard. I mean, I'm I'm technical. I think I also think I'm technically savvy, but I have this really big fear about losing private keys. Um so I also have a lot of fear about storing any wealth on it yet. Um, I, I know there are solutions that allow you to split the keys between like five people and only three of them are needed to uh, to actually unlock or make transactions. And I think stuff like that makes it interesting. It allows you to um, keep uh, keep the, the single point of failure to a minimum. Um, I can't explain to my wife that I lost a private key to a ledger and lost money. That's not something I'm one day going to have to explain to her. Um, she'd kill me before that ever happens. Um, <laughs> but but that, that, that is the part that makes me paranoid. Um, so yeah, hardware wallets are great, but you still have that responsibility that you own the private key, you own the seeds, the seed phrase that you use to generate the private key. Um, even that has become a lot more user-friendly. It's not 
like in SSH, the big blob of uh, hexadecimal characters that you need to store somewhere. It is sort of user-friendly in the sense that you get a a set of words that you need to write down. And from those words, you can generate private key. And from the private key, you can generate the public key. But it's still not user-friendly. I mean, it is still for geeks and nerds and paranoid people. What, What do you do for storing it? Uh, I do the exact same. So I have a Trezor um, and I'm as paranoid as you with backups. It is a very surreal feeling to know at a fundamental level, like you, I, you know, you you slowly start grasping this crypto, you know, this cryptography as you best you can really with it. And you realize, yeah, if I lose this, there is no way out. There is no forgotten, you know, private key or something like that. You do have to, you know, you really are in charge of everything. Uh, which is a great thing because, you know, there's no middleman that, but that's what you get with not having a middleman or not having people to help you. Yeah, and I think that that is what ultimately will lead to the fact that Bitcoin isn't for everyone. Um, or at least the, the the experience with Bitcoin that you and I have right now, where we interact directly with private keys and the protocol, I think for most people, it is going to be a lot safer to have that middleman in between that takes care of most of the risk involved. So do you have much, any hot storage? Like, do you have anything that's actually on, you know, are these like kind of like Coinbase's and stuff or is it all put off on cold? Not anymore. So uh, in 2017, when everything was going up, I also experienced what we can now call shit coins. Um, so the idea that um, you have Bitcoin and you have like 5,000 other currencies that all try to fill in a special niche or all try Denta to coin, because the dentist network <laughs> need you. <laughs> I, I, yeah, exactly. If I go to my dentist, I, I always ask what kind of blockchain they're using to keep <laughs> my teeth clean. <laughs> what kind of bullshit is that? Uh, um, so, so scams like that, um, I, I, I got burned by one um, by using an obscure exchange. That exchange got hacked and I lost everything. Um, luckily, not a lot of money, but I, lo- I learned the, uh, the concept of not your keys, not your coins. If you trust an exchange, and I would trust Coinbase because they're big enough, they are insured, they they don't hold any, well, not, not entirely true, they don't hold a lot of shit coins. Um, they hold mostly good projects. Um, but if, if, don't, if you don't have the private keys, you really don't have the coins. If they are held by an exchange, if you look at Mt. Gox, for instance, like the biggest Bitcoin exchange a couple of years back, it got hacked tremendously impressively. Um, but everyone that got coins on there lost them. No matter what you thought back then, there was no insurance, you name it. Um, so not your keys, not your coins. And I learned that the hard way. Yeah, and, and that is, again, another very hard thing to try and market. I mean, it's just scary. Kind of dabbled upon it, like, you know, different coins, shit coins and stuff. So the, the, the trading aspect of it. Um, there, there's been, obviously, you've got the technology, the utopian vision, you know, the, the, this amazing thing of being able to kind of, you know, free ourselves from the banks and and this technology that's going to, you know, help steer us there. And it's believing in math, believing in proofs, believing in proof of work, believing in proof of state, you know, these kind of fundamental things there. First, the financial incentive, which is like the BitConnect scams and all these things, obviously, that come about with quick, you know, you know, kind of dump it and everything, you know, it goes up, it dump it and whatnot. Have, have, how's your experience been with the trading aspects of things? Ups and downs. Um, in 2017, I think I felt like a genius because no matter what you bought back then, it all just went up. I think even Denta Coin could have made you rich back then. I, I, yeah, that you look. If you go back on Coin Market Cap, it is insane to think how much of a you know boost these things got. It is ridiculous. Yeah, and back then, you know, you really just had to pick a dart, throw it at a board, see if it sticked, and buy it. And as long as you held it for more than two weeks, it probably doubled in money. Um, 
So then 2018 happened and turns out it's not really that simple. Um, so I just quit altogether. Um, I was um, drawn into the market first by looking at the price and by watching it go up. Then I realized there is so much more to it than price. Um, so in a way, I've become a bit of a Bitcoin maximalist, trying to focus only on Bitcoin right now, keep my attention there. But the price is a side effect of the technology and the movement, isn't it, really? So whatever happens with the technology and movement, the price will be what it will be. It's kind of, it, it doesn't, I mean, it is a side effect, but it doesn't correlate totally because people manipulate it. And you still got the whole Bitcoin whale thing and everything, which is a bit scary. Yeah, exactly. And I, what, what frustrates me sometimes is that tomorrow a new scam project can come out. They can create a really good looking website. They can market themselves as um, a way to never look at ads on the internet and make money while you browse. When if you really look at the the idea behind such things, most of it is absolute nonsense because you can't just make money appear and give it at both the publisher and the person looking at the updates or the, or the ads. Um, if, if you look at it from a purely um, sane point of view, most of these projects make absolutely zero sense, but we're all drawn into it because we think we can make money and they will still go up 10x, 100x in value. And that frustrates me because one, I probably didn't have the coin and I lost on 100x. But at the same time, it is all such a scam. And there are going to be so many people buying the absolute top and losing so much money um, that, it, that it just pisses me off sometimes, which is also why I prefer to focus on Bitcoin. Um, there are no devs or core devs or contributors here that are doing things to make the price go 2x next week. They are here to build sustainable businesses and sustainable protocols. Whereas... From those 5,000 other projects that might go up in value, most of them are here to make a quick buck and perhaps move on and not think about the sucker that bought the top and just rides it all the way down. So I, I try to stay away from trading, um, just keep it on technical things. I mean, and the other thing there, actually, you mentioned, because I'm just thinking kind of Coinbase, obviously, uh, and the whole Bitcoin cash thing that came out when, you know, obviously when these big companies list start listing coins, uh, you know, they can definitely do some price increases up and bumps and everything. And it's the trust there. But the, the other thing is forking. And that's another thing that trying to teach people, trying to explain to people, uh, Bitcoin is a great name. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a tried, true, you know, trusted name in the, in the, in quote, in the cryptocurrency space. There's been forks from Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Gold, Bitcoin whatever. What's your opinion on all these forks? And you know, especially like the, in the case of like Bitcoin Cash. If if you go to Coin Market Cap and you in the search bar you start to type Bitcoin, there's like a little under ten projects that pop up. So I like the idea of forking. I mean, it's totally open source. If I look at say Apache today and I want to fork it and make an uh, a web server called Ed, I can do that. But I have the sense and the decency to not call it Apache 3 because it is not going to be Apache. It's going to be something entirely else. And I think what happens in the Bitcoin ecosystem is it's all open source. Anyone can, can fork it on the technical level from the source code. Anyone can fork it from the blockchain perspective. So you can just make a split and one piece is going to be the Bitcoin network and the other, whichever you call it network. But naming it Bitcoin is just such a cheap way of trying to promote it, trying to deceive an investor or someone who would buy it. Um, it's a lame scam. I mean, if you look at um, other, another top project is, is Ripple, for instance. Um, a long, long time ago, um, someone forked the Ripple code base and made Stellar, XLM. 
but they didn't name it XRP2 or XRP Private or XRP Gold. They just named it something entirely different because their goal was going to be entirely different than the main project. I think that is the same thing to do. Um, so I don't like Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV or whichever fork they will have next week. That's it, Satoshi's um, vision. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, who comes up with those names? <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it, is, it is insane, isn't it? It is insane. It, it it makes everything so much harder. So the, the there's a there's a Bitcoin Twitter handle, but it don't only promotes Bitcoin Cash, but it refers to itself as Bitcoin. Come on, how they are the one true explain? Bitcoin? Is yeah, their how, argument, isn't it? That's the problem. How will I explain this to my parents? I mean, yep. <laughs> this isn't going to work. There is only one Bitcoin, as far as I'm concerned, and then there are forks, and perhaps they are viable, but they just can't be named Bitcoin. That doesn't work. But like you say, it's the open source mentality. I mean, really, I mean, this is the beauty of all of this is that it's all about community. So we all kind of come to a general understanding, right? Bitcoin Core, you know, the the, the code that's in there that we're running is what we're verifying with. And that that is our general understanding of what it should be. And then, you know, a fork comes along, a hard fork comes along saying, nope, we want to keep maintain the history that we already have because we believe in, you know, but we have the history wise. And I want to go off and do this now and completely change such as, you know, we don't want SegWit. So we want Bitcoin Cash and we want to increase the block size and whatnot. We want to essentially keep asking, you know, our, our money. I mean, this is the trouble, the incentives behind, behind such, you know, such a thing like that where, you know, we want to keep our ASCII business going. So let's uh, let's keep doing this. Uh, it, it kind of it draws itself into the fact that it is always going to be anarchy where people can change things. And the fact that you can use the Bitcoin name really then just makes it really confusing. I mean, you've got the same thing with Ethereum Classic and you have to go back and understand, oh, yeah, because the, you know, the, the whole DAO thing happens. So it's like it can only get more confusing uh, with people doing this and people not, you know, kind of deciding on different ways and stuff. But hopefully over time, it should get better. But you just hope that what doesn't happen is that Every time there's an argument, every time there's a debate in this thing, it's just like, all right, we're going to fork then. Because projects don't survive that way. You know, if you if you slowly kind of break people off into their own other projects, whether they come back on board is one thing. But I don't know what you feel about that. I, th- I think that's true. I, th- I also believe that if someone disagrees with, say, design design decisions that Bitcoin makes, they have the right to fork. Everyone has. Um, but the majority will win. And if 60% believe that what is what we call Bitcoin today is the future, then ultimately Bitcoin will succeed. And those 40%, they are going to have less resources, less people working on it, less adoption. Eventually, that will just die out. I think, I think Bitcoin in that sense is a majority takes most kind of market. Um, you can't have a lot of competitors that are sort of similar but have a 60-40 split in terms of commitment or resources, the 40% will just die off. Because if I'm going to look at it from, say, a web developer perspective, and I have limited resources to build a web application or a SaaS, what am I going to implement? Am I going to implement, say, the 60% Bitcoin or the uh, the version of Bitcoin that only 40% uses? If I'm going to make a design, design decision on my end from a purely practical web dev point of view, I'm going to first pick the 60% because that, that gives me most customers. So in that sense, they can all try it. Perhaps good discussion can come out of it. Um, but in the end, the majority will win. Um, and I hope that the majority is the collection of the most smart people, um, the most reasonable, sensible people. But time will tell. Maybe someone will make a humongous mistake and perhaps one day will realize Bitcoin Cash is in fact the true Satoshi vision. Um, 
I don't know. I'm open to it because I, I believe in strong opinions loosely held. I mean, I, I can be persuaded to change my mind, um, but I need arguments and not some loud voice on Twitter saying what I should or shouldn't well, do. Well, that's it. And also when you can kind of see incentives that are really financial incentives that are yeah. kind of quick win financial incentives where it's like, are you truly believing, you know, like, are we really looking to the future, you know, or are we looking at kind of how can I kind of get profits now, uh, you know, back into kind of fiat currency and it's like really do it you know like that's the thing i love about bitcoin and, and a lot of the bitcoin core developers is that there is this just fundamental kind of utopian vision about it if if you want to call it that or just this vision of how things can be and kind of you know going on with the technologies and stuff but i just don't feel we're at the time and i think that was with 2017 where the marketing around it and stuff coinbase did come out and they had that big boom over thanksgiving time and whatnot so they got a lot of people in there but there's still there's still so much to do and as you say now in coinbase you've got bitcoin and bitcoin cash and trying to explain that to someone just it doesn't work and you just hope that it doesn't you know dilute more yeah i think it'll it'll end up in the point where we just have to look at the adoption i mean right now I, I try to understand Bitcoin. I don't really fully grasp it yet, I think. But most of the people that have either bought or believe in the idea of Bitcoin, they don't know the difference between Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. I mean, first, one is has a slightly longer name than the other. And I guess the price is different. And that's probably that's it. One's where cheaper than the other. I bought the cheap yeah. one. It's like, yeah, you uh, save money. It's like, oh, it doesn't really work like that. No, but, but they don't understand the intrinsicies of the protocol. And they don't have to. Um, the only thing that is going to make either of them win is just which applications adopt it, which transactions are made on which blockchain. That is the only thing that's going to matter about the winner. And if somehow Bitcoin Cash has a tremendously good marketing campaign that drives everyone to that chain and implement the, those transactions, then maybe they will still win, no matter if it is technically better or not. Adoption is in the end what, what determines the winner here. And for most people, that's going to be a non-technical decision. It's going to it's be, going to be a marketing. It's going to be a yeah. marketing campaign out of it, really, isn't it? Who has the best logo? Who has the best public <laughs> speakers about it? I don't know what what's going to happen, but um, so that that's perhaps something that, as a dev, frustrates me. It's it's not going to be the technologically um, more superior chain that will go in, that's going to win. I hope it is. I I believe that it might, but. If someone comes up with really good marketing, chances are they can still win. So that that also scares me a bit. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is very scary. Um, and moving on then, so we, we talked a bit about Bitcoin there. And the, the other big one is Ethereum. Bitcoin does have its own scripting language, uh, you know, that you can do very simple scripts in. Ethereum takes it to the next level with smart contracts and a solidity uh, language and whatnot. And that's when more problems come into play because now things are getting more complicated and it's great that you can do these things so-called dApps, you know, these decentralized applications. And there's now a lot of bindings and there's some things I've been playing with, with Truffle and Ganache and, and the Web3 stuff. What is your opinion on Ethereum and kind of delving into that world? I think there's a place for something like Ethereum. I don't know if it will be Ethereum. I mean, it, it was the first um, incarnation of something that we today we call smart contracts. I think it's has been a very successful one since it's powered the entire ICO boom of uh, two years ago. But it's also the first one. Um, right now, there are so many alternatives to Ethereum, so many other ways that you can run smart contracts. That I, know, I don't know if it will win, but I do believe in the idea that there is code out there that is run on 
all of the Ethereum nodes that has its own independent validation that can be a completely standalone application so that I, as a dev, can write something, make it a smart contract, put that on the blockchain and other people, without me having any control or power over it, they can all interact with it and something happens. I mean, that idea itself is really exciting. It's, I, I think uh, at the very beginning, they, they called Ethereum the new world computer. Perhaps that's that was yeah, a bit of an overstatement. The biggest supercomputer in the world. Yeah, so that, that's that's a cool marketing hype name, and that 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 brings eyes on Ethereum. So in a, in a way, that worked, I think. It is scary, though. You know, our typical web app is a centralized thing. We release a web application, has a couple of bugs in it. That's all right. We can just uh, deploy a new one. We can send out a new one. With Ethereum, it's very different, and everything's permanent. And that that is one of the scary things with it that. You know the tooling around building these these contracts and and really that is is one of those things that's going to be the the biggest thing to get to get right. Yeah, and if a bug is there, the bug is there forever. <laughs> and and it's um, and to be honest, it's it's actually easy to see because people can read these you know solidity contracts and understand them. Maybe solidity isn't the language we use. Maybe it's another language that we use that's more high level, more secure in in the quotes that it's kind of locking down what you can actually do in Ethereum. Because you know, as I, I can you know create a solidity contract, use these nice truffle, these these nice truffle suite, which is this JavaScript you know uh, kind of framework around it that allows me to test and play with it. Ganache, I can do it locally. I can have my own blockchain verify it. I can deploy it on the main net if I want, and then I've got Web three to interact with the web application. Now I've, I'm on there, but if say for something, oh no, that solidity contract actually was wrong. It's now wrong permanently, and you can't do. You know, all these applications can't do what the DAO did. You know, where they had it a couple of years ago, where they're like, well, we now need to fork and actually revert this change. It just doesn't work that way. And I think that's one thing where there needs to be a lot more experience or a lot more tooling around this. Yeah, and I think that's the area where perhaps other blockchains might blockchains might succeed. I like the idea of, um, say, something called Tezos, where they try to mathematically prove the outcome of smart contracts as a way of, say, think of it like a unit test, I think, about, of a smart contract. I believe that the output should be A, and if with other inputs the output can be B or C, it won't compile or it won't be stored. I like that idea. Maybe it can also exist on Ethereum. Maybe we need, if you look at it in, 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 um, in normal developer terms, we're looking at PHP 1, and maybe we need PHP 7 with a Laravel framework on top of it. Um, so these can all be the the base layers on which we build other projects, on which we build um, ways of structuring code, making it more robust, um, adding, uh, adding ways of thinking, perhaps doing something like domain-driven design on top of Solidity. There are so many ways to write code, and I think we're only in the debug phase right now. And not everything needs to be in a DAP. That's another thing where, you know, people are obviously going to apply this to anything and everything. And it's deciding, you know, on what. And, and this is a big hot topic now is to build DAPs and stuff. Ethereum has shown that scaling is very hard for them as well. Because, you know, even when they have like the crypto kitties phase and everything and the craze was going on, scaling that was in, almost not impossible. It's good that we have this. It's good that we have these kind of almost like, I suppose it's just kind of like testing out phases to see like, oh, hang on, how good are we at the moment? Are we, where are we? But there's a lot to do. Uh, and there's even more so with the fact that now the the concept of, I mean, we haven't actually spoke, spoken about this, but the consensus algorithms around things. So Bitcoin at the moment is still proof of work. There's obviously arguments to the fact that, it, you know, the environment, but it is the only one true at this moment in time, proof of work algorithm, consensus algorithm that's working uh, to verify and, and to essentially keep us all in order 
the other one is proof of stake. And that's something that Ethereum Vitalik is very bullish on, you know, getting in because proof of stake will be this kind of like you're almost you get away from the fact of having to burn cycles, burn, you know, create nonces and all this kind of stuff. And instead, you're kind of dealing with it in your own ecosystem. You know, the fact that I don't want to lose that Ethereum that's got value now to me, I can now start staking that. And then we have that consensus there. Uh, What's your opinion on, on these two different types of proving algorithm? I see merit in both. Um, I, I, as you said, proof of work exists and has proven itself right now, but there are very legitimate environmental concerns. I have the same. I mean, if you look at how much power we're quote unquote wasting on validating blocks, it's it's really insane. Um, proof of stake is the other hand, it, on, on the other end of the spectrum, I think, where if you hold coins, you suddenly have the ability to participate in the network, run a node, because you still have to do that. Um, and use your node to validate blocks. And you're basically staking um, your coins. Say uh, the current ID is that if you have 32 Ethereum, um, you can create a node, lock that 32 Ethereum into that node um, and participate in the network. And if somehow the network determines that you're cheating, perhaps you're trying to um, validate blocks that really aren't valid, or perhaps you're trying to cheat and give your own blocks preference, um, then the network might punish you by taking away your coins. So you're risking something, you risk losing your coins, the coins that you stake. Um, but in return, in return of running a node and validating other transactions, um, you receive part of the profit. So right now, if you mine Ethereum, you get a block reward. So you, you get Ethereum in return. That's the idea of mining um, by doing proof of stake. You also get Ethereum back but it is because you're running a node and you have staked, you have um, risked a part of your Ethereum um, in order to be able to run that node and validate them. So the idea that you only need to run a small-ish server, granted there are concerns about that disk space issue that I mentioned earlier. Um, I'm not quite sure how that might work. But the idea that you just have to run a, a small-ish server, you don't have to run big ASICs or big GPU farms to do the actual computational work, um, you can prove the existence and the validity of transactions in just another way. So it's an entirely different model. I like it. I, I think it is worth exploring. Um, I hope it succeeds because if it does, it might um, really bring down um, energy consumption worldwide. But time will tell. Um, mm. There are projects right now that already have proof of stake. There are hybrid projects that do a bit of proof of work and a bit of proof of stake. Um that's the model that ethereum are hoping to go through aren't they to to slowly bring it in there'll be every like 100 or whatever transactions be proof of work on top of this proof of stake yeah i think if i remember correctly most of their efforts are also going to be in in a form of side chains um so where where there are essentially multiple versions of ethereum some proof of work some proof of stake and then other than scalability side chains because that's the only way um, this this is going to scale as you say with this disk size we can't have with with ethereum the smart contracts on the network and all the data related to that smart contract which is you know not in correlation to how easy you know i mean we think transactions are bigger you know too big on bitcoin but on on the case of a smart contract, you have no control over how big these you know this data is because it's how much whoever wants to do the gas and how much you know people want to put into it. So yeah, side chaining and kind of second layer solutions on top of Ethereum are even more pressing. Yeah, but what I like about the approach here is that so Vitalik is is um, I think officially like the lead dev or something from the Ethereum uh, Foundation, um, but he has 
and always has had a vision. So in 2014 or something, he, he started Ethereum. That worked. I mean, he, he really made the first smart contract available system out there. But like two or three years ago already, he started talking about maybe we need to migrate to proof of stake. It's not something that they only did like a couple of months ago and got got started on it. Somehow this was his vision for like Absolutely. the past couple He's of years. He's thinking a lot in the future. Yeah. What, what really amazes me about that guy is like he's 24, 25. <laughs> it is, it's scary. It is, it is really scary to what he has done. He, he, he will go down to history as either the dumbest man alive or the smartest man alive. <laughs> um, if, his, if this thing of his works, it is insane what he has accomplished on such relatively young age. And I know we, should, we shouldn't look at age because it, it's irrelevant. But man, if I look at the things I did when I was 25, I was not building Ethereum. Well, he seems to, yeah, and he seemed to hit on so many things that have worked. Um, yeah. I think proof of stake to me is an interesting one where you, you start believing then the value in the abstraction, like how we do with money, you know, like, you know, paper money or whatnot. We have this kind of, that this means something. At the moment with proof of work, there's very much clear boundary that, you know, I'm expending fiat or elect- an electricity to convert this into this. There's value now in that, that I've now wasted or, or used or transferred, you know, kind of electricity and money fear into this bitcoin currency or this ethereum currency proof of stake is very interesting that now we won't need that and and the whole way that proof of stake will work is that the fact that there is something for there's a you know foundational thing for someone to lose at the moment if you cheat on the bitcoin network you're only cheating yourself because the fact that you've now had to you can use that computation to try and cheat this and you've lost a lot of money you know the incentives in there aren't you know are great to to maintain and, and keep you know, up with what other people are doing. Uh, proof of stake is only valuable if you don't, you know, if I care about how much Ethereum, if, I, if I've got Ethereum, I'm like, yeah, whatever, I can happily stake that and start lying. It, you know, it's, it's an interesting way. I, yeah, I think in both methods, you can lose money if you try to cheat. It just manifests differently. I mean, in, in one, you lose the, the electricity or perhaps the, the GPUs that you had to buy um, and you lose money through the things that you had to spend. And in proof of stake, you might lose the Ethereum that one day you did have to buy. So you can you can lose money in both, and that's the incentive of doing it uh, correctly. Maybe one day Bitcoin will transition or consider proof of stake. I don't know. Um, I, I do think that something needs to be done about the potential waste that we have today in, in, in our environment. Um, I don't yet know what that might be, um, but I, I don't think it's very sustainable either. Um, so... I do, and that's what I do admire Ethereum for that, that they are pushing towards this, you know, and that they are thinking of this, but they probably have it, you know, it's a lot harder for them because, you know, their computation power that is required, the storage, the the amount, you know, the verification of these smart contracts, it's a lot harder, um, you know, and having these miners and stuff. So they're probably they're at the forefront of it. And then, then they can see what's going on. Uh, and, and then Bitcoin hopefully maybe can, you know, take some some kind of understanding from this. But then again, Bitcoin staying of proof of work being gold in this regard, you know, is that such a bad thing as well? Uh, obviously, the scalability, you know, it's scaling, it's only getting worse, but it's tried, true and tested. And is there a risk that moving one day, there's the unknown, you just don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it's it's uh, admiring about what, what Ethereum is doing. It is getting a lot of flack and heat about the mining community. I think they all agree that something might one day have to be done about it. But imagine spending millions buying ASICs or data center room or GPU farms and then hearing about that particular coin moving away from proof of work. 
I mean, that is an investment that you're throwing out of the window because a couple of core developers decided that this is the way to go. So I understand the heat that they are getting. Um, I also still support their decision of trying it. So it's it's a tough call. No, absolutely. And that's why you have the test nets for and everything to, to make. I mean, they, they already, wasn't it like it was the Ethereum soft fork that they were going to do? Luckily, they stopped it happening, uh, the recent one, because there was a bug in the yes, code. Exactly. So security research is founded, I think. It's crazy. Um, uh, one interesting thing that's come out, actually, I think it came out in 2016, but it's kind of grown more and kind of more development around it. And actually, something that I really have only just started to look into really is Nimble Wimble. Mimble Wimble. I think I've got that right. A Harry Potter term, a tongue twisting uh, spell in Harry Potter. And this idea of privacy. Obviously, on the Bitcoin network, everything is public in that I can take a wallet, take a public key, and I can go through and work out exactly to up to you know where it was mined. I mean, it's quite an amazing thing. I can do that. And you can see how this works. There are services around that that kind of masquerade this. But the, the, the true thing about having privacy, uh, you know, that that's come into other coins such as Monero. But this thing called Mimblewimble seems to be an interesting development, kind of a, a different blockchain that not only provides this, this kind of hiding, you know, addresses, there's no addresses, there's no amounts, but also this concept of being able to compress the blockchain is a very interesting one to maintain and save on that space. I'm just wondering maybe if you kind of a, a higher level overview of what this actually is. Well, I haven't looked into it very deeply, but the the idea is interesting. So there are right now coins like Zcash or Monero that um, their unique selling feature of using that blockchain is the idea that you're um, you're you're unique. You're uh, you can't be traced back to the, to the source. So the idea is that you're truly anonymous, um, even though those appear to be able to uh, pierce through as well. So take that all with a grain of salt. Um, and Bitcoin right now is the exact opposite. If I make a transaction to you, anyone can see it. Well, they can see two addresses. They don't know who you are or, or who I am. But if one day my uh, address would leak or I publish it somewhere or, or yours would. Um, but you only have to go on like, say, Blockchain Explorer. I mean, this is a scary thing. And I just, you know, I was reading up it today. Like, If you just go on Blockchain Explorer and look at a transaction, you've now got an IP address attached to that that wallet or that you know public key. Yeah, and there are entire firms like Chainalysis that are um, really specialized in tracking coins, um, identifying suspicious transactions, um, you name it. And and those are the guys that that a Coinbase, well, perhaps not Coinbase, due to their recent Neutrino uh, hassle, but Bit uh, Binance, Bitstamp, all of the major ones are using an, an analysis provider that allows them to find suspicious transactions. So the idea of a transparent blockchain is that you can find those which has its own merit. If you're a good guy, um, perhaps it doesn't really matter um, if your transactions are public. Perhaps it also doesn't matter if most of it will live on the Lightning Network because then only the big transactions might end up on the the, the actual chain. Um, But if you are perhaps a bit paranoid, perhaps you would like to have uh, private transactions. So that is where Mimblewimble might be a solution. Um, so that that's now introduced into Litecoin, and it, it introduces something called a confidential confidential transaction. I can send something to you. You can receive the money, but you can't see, or nobody on the blockchain can 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 deduct that I sent that to you. Somehow you received money. Somehow I send money. Um, in between is a bit of magic, <laughs> um, a combination of multi-sig wallets, etc. Um, but out comes money money that goes to you, and it re- uh, it disappears from me. So that's the idea. And they can verify that the only thing that they can verify any of these nodes is the fact that it, it does equate to zero when you deduct, you know, the inputs and outputs, which is just fascinating. 
Exactly. So the, the double accounting aspect, something comes in, something goes out, that is still intact. Um, so Bitcoin has had similar and multiple of these proposals as well. Um, a couple of them, I, I think one was called CoinJoin, where the idea was that if you just send uh, five transactions um, and you want to receive five, we just mix them in the middle and out comes a different set of uh, values to you that I have sent. So the idea is also that I can send one Bitcoin to you, but perhaps you receive two times half a Bitcoin in, in various routed ways. Um, so there are ways that you can hide transactions. There are proposals being made to the Bitcoin network as well. I believe one day it'll pass and be be merged and used um, in Bitcoin Core as well. I think it's only a matter of time. Um, I, for that reason as well, I'm, I'm doubtful about... Um, the future, say, that a Litecoin or even a Monero might have. I hope they succeed. But at the same time, if their main um, their main selling power is either the speed of the network or the ability that you can remain anonymous, I think it's just a matter of time because until both of those features, I mean, actually end up on the Bitcoin network. Yeah, and, the, and these coins and the, these projects are really a testbed for the bigger ones or for other ones you know i i think i you know i even take bitcoin even though it's you know the older elder statesman here is it with a pinch of salt that it may not be the one that we use in the years to come uh it's most likely to still be around but it may not be the tried true one that we use and this is the adoption i mean litecoin is always that thing where it's the the silver or the the day-to-day use to the gold that is bitcoin and even that's kind of changed now the the, the nice thing with Bit, uh, with litecoin is that it would hopefully try out newer newer technologies that's really where its aim is. You know, it, it obviously has a different hashing algorithm and stuff, which makes it a little bit more you know, ASIC resistant, but not anymore. I mean, the, the race for those type of things is just kind of it. You can't win. Um, but, you know, that, that those kind of things with Litecoin and stuff, you know, the, the ability to do these transactions. And I was going to we just gonna mention, you know, atomic swaps and things, you know, that, that they can try these things out and then they can be moved to say something like Bitcoin. But even in that case, Bitcoin may not be what we see. You know, we may not be what we're using in 10 to 20 years time. Yeah, now, and Litecoin is, I think, it is indeed a testbed for Bitcoin. It's um, it's sort of independent, but it, it has the same core code base that, that Bitcoin has because it, it was once a fork from Bitcoin. Um, but I like them. They, they, they were the very first to ever implement SegWit before Bitcoin did it. Um, and that was good. They, they got to test it. They got to see what worked, what didn't work. And then Bitcoin can look at it, see what happens, what works, what doesn't work. And perhaps fine-tune things just a bit before they go into beta with it. Um, so I like the idea of, of Litecoin in that sense. I also like Litecoin in... in uh, they do something really interesting together with uh, with Dogecoin. Don't know if you know about that. Um, but th- there's something called merge mining. So if you have a Litecoin miner, you can um, configure it that you're mining Litecoin. But at the same time, you're also mining Dogecoin. So your All main right. efforts is actually <laughs> on, on the Litecoin network. Um, but because sometimes you can find... Uh, proof of a block that may be reused in Doge network. Um, and, and you're basically doing a two-for-one at that point, which is also why Doge itself is still an actively still mined around. network. I was going to say, yeah, that, the joke coin that's still around and has, well, with the bubble, with the boom, had a pretty good price tag to it as well. Yeah, but it makes no sense because it hasn't had any development in like two or three years, I think. Um, it's one giant meme, but it still survives because of technology like merge mining. Um, which is also something that they can try out on Litecoin. They can see what works, what doesn't. I like the fact that it's a testbed, but for me, it's only an alpha to the beta that we call Bitcoin. Um, so it does have a future. I don't know yet. It, it's, I do like the idea that we can experiment on that, um, but we'll have to see what the future brings. 
That's it. And there's nothing set in stone. Definitely nothing set in stone with any of these. Well, one of the last things I actually like to talk to you is the atomic swaps. That's something that's really exciting to me. And, and that really just kind of blows my mind. Would you mind maybe explaining what atomic swaps are? In theory, it is simple. In practical, I think it is about the most complicated piece of technology <laughs> I've ever looked at. Um, I don't understand how it's implemented because it is from beginning to end pure cryptography and I understand a bit of math, but I do not understand the cryptography at this level. So the idea is that um, perhaps I have Bitcoin, perhaps you have Ethereum. I want to give you one Bitcoin if you give me a couple of Ethereum in return. Now, there's no good way for us to do that securely. Without having an exchange or a third party. Yeah, exactly. So either you start to send me Ethereum and you hope that at the same time I hit send and send you the Bitcoin. Um but maybe I don't, and maybe I just take your Ethereum and run away with it. So the idea is, it's complicated to do this in a safe way. So what is an atomic swap? It's like a three-way um, swap on multiple blockchains, trying to swap two totally different blockchains. So the idea is that I create a transaction um, that is not confirmed yet on my end, on Bitcoin, on the Bitcoin network. You create a transaction that is not yet confirmed on the Ethereum network. We join that in a intermediary network it might be bitcoin it might be ethereum but it's basically a complicated smart contract or some kind of multi-sig wallet um, that as soon as it receives both unconfirmed transactions it will confirm them on your behalf send back a couple of proofs and then the transaction on both ends can go through at the same time so the idea is having a middleman that you can trust but you can trust it because it's pure math it's about signatures it's about verification it's purely about Math and that you can trust, that you can prove, um, at least if you're smart enough. That's what I mean. That's what Bitcoins, you know, all of these fundamentally are built on. And it's such an interesting because it does open the doors to so many things, like you say there, with the, you know, being able to change Bitcoin and Litecoin and whatnot. And I mean, Litecoin has actually, you know, it had its first experiment with it. I can't remember with what exact coin, other coin it was doing, what blockchain it was doing it with, but it showed this. Um, and it, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. It is, and I, I read or heard about it. I'm not sure what happened. Um, I, I I heard about it. I think in a podcast about how it works, and I, the idea it's 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 brilliant. It's about using um, algorithms. It's about using math in such a way that you can prove that the other party actually did submit it. But you need the second piece of proof in order to actually submit a transaction in the first place. It is it is brilliant, but I don't I can't. For the life of me, I couldn't be, take a piece of paper and a pen and, and draw it out. Um, I understand on, on, a low, on a higher level what happens, um, but I, I really am excited about looking at this in the field. Super exciting from a dev point of view, because theoretically, you can do a lot of cool things. But how do you make an interface out of this, this that, that your parents can understand? <laughs> That's it. How do you market this is going to be very hard. I mean, because it, it does mean then to say that with the Mimblewimble stuff that, you know, we could have a side chain and you could have this brother blockchain because Mimblewimble will work on a different blockchain. You use atomic swaps, you go on there, you do what you need to do and you come back. Uh, it could be a soft fork in Bitcoin as well, but I think that's a lot harder. But these side chains and being able to kind of do these atomic swaps makes it a lot easier for adoption and kind of switching between different things. There are so many challenges about adoption um, that I, I want to keep a close eye on atomic swaps and see what they do and how they're used. I think we are probably a decade away from it being used in the in the field in practice. Um, but still, that gives us time to improve upon it, uh, see what, how we should present this to an end user, what the challenges are. Um, yeah, it's cool technology regardless. No, definitely. And Matthias, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. 
the last question I would love to ask you is like, really, what, what technology, you know, technological developments or financial, whatever developments in the cryptocurrency space have got you excited at the moment, like other than the things that we've been speaking about? I think it's too much to sum up. What I've started to enjoy is the thing called crypto Twitter. It is a magical place on, on Twitter where it is all run by um, avatar accounts or meme accounts, but they all talk about legit technology um, in, while mixing it with shit coins and, and you name it. But they all promote projects that on the surface look interesting. So f- following uh, the, the folks at the Lightning Labs, uh, making the Lightning Network, they are doing really cool things about not having to add initial capacity to the network, for instance. Um, the the core team at Bitcoin Core does really cool things about finding and solving bugs, about adding opcodes and, and doing things that the protocol might be able to use in like 10 years. They are so far ahead about um, thinking about scalability issues that don't even come to mind, but they are thinking about it and coming up with solutions. So it is the entire ecosystem that has me excited. Everyone is building on top of this thing, regardless of what price is doing. Uh, I think even because of what the price is doing right now, perhaps some of them are trying to prove, yes, this does have a future. Um, I'm going to prove it. So it's the entire space that has me excited. Um, and I hope it's for years to come. That's it. And I, I mean, all the BIPs and the you know the Ethereum improvement proposals that come out, I mean, the amount of work. Did you keep up to date with all like, the Bitcoin uh, improvement proposals and stuff? I try. Um, lately, I've been trying to come up with a way that I can um, make the mailing list more easily manageable. So there's a lot of discussion going on on Reddit, on Hacker News, on Twitter, but it's all either fragmented or rather hostile. Um, and I like that mailing lists are such a simple way where only the real nerds and geeks assign up. So the creme to the creme comes up there, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. They, they don't come on... They, it's it's sometimes rather complicated to sign up because you have to fill in your email, confirm it, perhaps confirm it twice. You don't do that if you're just going to name someone an idiot or yell at people. You do that because you actually want to contribute and you see that's value it. in it. You care about this. Um, exactly. So that that's what has me excited about stupid things like mailing lists. Um, plus, you can actually look at the core developers that are just replying to your emails, that are discussing proposals together with other people. It feels like you're at the source helping build this thing. Um, so I really like the concept of the, the mailing list. I've been following it for a couple of months now. I like that. And that, that's what keeps me up to date. That's also where the BIPs, the, the, the Bitcoin improvement proposals come um, and where they get discussed. So they, they usually end up on GitHub somewhere, but they have their... The origin, the genesis is there. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Matthias, for coming on. Uh, it's been really good chat. And I know we, we definitely have skimmed over some bits, but I think it would be definitely good for another another podcast to talk about other bits and bobs. Yeah, let's let's um, do some kind of weekend thing where we can talk about it twenty four seven. That would be awesome. All right, audience, it's been another great episode, and we'll speak to you again next week. Goodbye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at three devs and a maybe dot com, or follow us on Twitter at the number three devs and a maybe.